this is Robert Dillon, the host of the Help Me Understand podcast. Thanks for taking some time to be a part of this project. Listening for ideas and inspiration in a world that continues to be filled with noise is at the heart of this podcast. I'm excited to share my journey to understand in deeper ways by listening to the passionate ideas of educators, thinkers, and entrepreneurs. Help Me Understand is a small opportunity to be hopeful and experience the best parts of humanity. Hey, good day, and welcome back to the podcast. Excited to have you as always. Um, I get to talk to Joe Phelan again today. Uh, Joe is the Director of Operations at St. Andrew's Episcopal School in Maryland, and I always enjoy talking to Joe. A, he has an amazing amount of technical information and expertise as it comes to learning spaces, from things like lighting and HVAC and all the things that happen behind the walls that really, really matter in the work that we do. Uh, but he couples that with a deep empathy for teaching and learning, and that is really uh, why I love to talk to him. Uh, we are talking about some of their new projects on campus and how they are fitting into this COVID environment, and also what they are doing in preparation for students to return to their campus. And so please sit back, enjoy uh, this great conversation with Joe Phelan. Joe, it is great to have you back on the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me on the podcast again. I love being part of uh, your 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 show. It's just absolutely amazing what it does for so many different listeners. Yeah, and you know, uh, a lot has changed in our worlds in the last few months. And uh, I really had you on today just to get some updates on the projects you've been doing, uh, both to hear about how COVID's impacted them, but maybe how you've been able to accelerate them without kids on campus, but really kind of, um, really what's going on in your campus that we should know about? Well, it's really interesting. COVID is actually, I, I thought initially that it was really gonna have a big impact in regards to, oh, wow, there's no kids here. That was my first initial thought, but then you start to deal with all the supply chain management problems. And when it really what happened when COVID first came out, next thing you know, all these different factories, like for example, we're building a parking facility. And next thing you know, you find out that the uh, brick furnaces have been shut down because there's no employees and then COVID, you know, and you know, then you had to wait until the factory created its brand new plan to make sure that the employees were safe. That's just one example. Um, yeah, no, and I think that's it. I mean, I think that one of the things that all designers and all folks that have been trying to improve schools are dealing with is the backlog of supply chain. I mean, I work with a lot of schools that are saying, hey, we wanted to have hotspots and we wanted to have devices and there just aren't any in the world. And so that's the same in building as well. Have you had to make any big pivots because of what's available? Yeah, so really interestingly, if you take a look at sequence of building our parking facility, we were going to build literally 450 linear feet of a retaining wall system. And for lack of better terms, the initial engineer, he got sick. And so then he bowed out of the project. Then we ended up having the initial company that was a subcontractor that was going to install it. Um, they ended up on a backlog of getting projects done. And let's just say that because the people got sick, so then we ended up having to build completely out of sequence. So instead of putting in the retaining walls first, we ended up building the parking structure first. 
And honestly, that created a big, huge lag time for us and trying to get everything done because now your job site is literally coagulated for lack of better terms. Um, and then pivoting and new contracts for subcontractors, new contracts for design people. And, you know, it's just been some firms, well, uh, uh, you know. Yeah, no, and I, I'm glad you guys have persevered through that because, you know, I know many people that are six months behind on projects that uh, instructional things are getting impacted because they hope to be able to do X, Y, and Z, and they're not being able to do that. Um, but it all, it seems pretty unsexy to put a parking garage on the property, but maybe put that in context for me uh, of what that allowed you to do in other places. Well, it's really interesting. I actually want to jump back a little bit here because one of the things also that we did now, a lot of this stuff was in the works. We've actually installed 225,000 square feet of synthetic turf. And that's a big conversation on some of the new technologies that are out there, cool play and knocking down your ambient temperature by 30 degrees. That's a whole nother topic in itself and safety and encapsulating. Um, we've installed new ball stopping systems. We've installed a new banyan track system. We've been long jump. We've done a shot put, uh, two new enclosed dugouts with electric. I mean, it's just, it's really, really, we've done a lot of different things while COVID's going on. But one of the things that I think that was probably most challenging and probably one of the things that you probably found out in talking to various schools was a lot of the sales engineers ended up getting furloughed. So, you know, we all live in this world of product data specifications and trying to meet, you know, various guidelines and international building codes and all these different things. Well, next thing you know, your sales engineers are gone. So my lighting package, which is highly technical and very innovative, guess what? I'm trying to reach out. No, no sales engineer. Yeah, it's funny, like the, we think about supply chain being stuff, but there's a customer service supply chain as well that was disrupted, whether people were working at home, people weren't responding as quick, people were furloughed, uh, people couldn't be on location. Um, that was a disruptive piece as well for many people. And I, you know, and the sad thing is, I think when COVID initially started, I don't think a lot of the companies, the corporations, we're talking big companies, really knew how to respond either. You know, there's this responsibility or this, I always call it CSR, corporate social responsibility that we all have to everybody. And I'll give you a really good example. I'm not going to mention the company, but we ended up buying four new scoreboards. So I kept sending out all these emails trying to get these product data specifications and you know there's scoreboards that you could talk ad nauseum about all the different features functions styles and everything like that my emails were going nowhere literally nowhere and I'm like what the heck is going on so yeah. then approximately six weeks later I get this email from this company saying hi um, I'm the vice president of sales and we've had to furlough your account manager and uh, reviewing, we found out that, you know, that you've been trying to get a hold of us. Well, where's the corporate social responsibility? Now you just added six weeks time onto my project schedule. Yeah, and there was no sense of like, hey, there's a process that goes along with furloughing people that includes forwarding their emails to someone who still works there. Um, right? And so I, let's go back. Um, I'm interested, um, certainly uh, lots of upgrades to the athletic facility and- sure pretty awesome. I saw even the picture you were showing before that uh, 
baseball diamond that allowed for a soccer field to be in the outfield. Um, uh, you guys are tight. Like the space there isn't like, hey, we have acreage upon acreage upon acreage. Um, what innovative things did you do to kind of fold some of those things together or make things serve two purposes? Um, what, what did you really like about the design that you think some people could learn from? Well, I think that so many schools, athletic directors, um, parents, I mean, any, any of our stakeholders, everybody has this ideology or this mindset, you need a dedicated field for a dedicated sport. Sadly, um, when you work in areas like greater Washington, D.C. area where we're at, property is literally a premium. <laughs> Um, and if you think about even some of the private schools up in, uh, you know, New York City or even public schools, they literally use Central Park for their athletics. And so then you start to really think, what is the sequence of the sports? So, for example, baseball is, you know, is a different season than, let's just say, soccer. So you take a look and then you start to lay out, you start to think about what is the sequencing of those sports and how can the overlay of those sports actually coexist. So then this way you can maximize every square foot. And that's literally what we did. So if you take a look at our soccer lacrosse field, it's literally the outfield of our baseball field. Is it ideal? No. But Think about my cost per square foot utilization. It is now much better value. And, yeah, and you know, I think like in schools, Joe, we think about how to make inside classroom spaces flexible, mm -hmm. but in so many places, we don't think about how we can do that sort of thing with the outside spaces and especially the athletic spaces. I mean, I, the setup you guys have reminded me of um, Bush Stadium here in St. Louis where the Cardinals play, right? They've had multiple soccer stadium or soccer events here u.s national team other teams have played here same sort of setup they ran the field across the outfield it worked was it perfect no but if the u.s national team can play in that configuration at bush stadium your kids can play in that configuration as well it'll be okay absolutely and one of the things that i will say is also you know with schools having limited budgets and when you start really thinking about the quality of the synthetic turfs that are out there well, now I can actually put the best of the best in, including which, like I said, we'll have another conversation someday about it if you'd like, cool play, which knocks down the ambient temperature. But if I'm a school that has all these dedicated fields to each one of these sports, which one do you put first? And why do you do it? And what's the impact to the other community? Because you want that inclusive environment. And that's something that we can do with the overlay or the multi-use of our fields. Yeah, let's jump back. I know the last time I was on campus, I got a chance to tour the lower school, uh, right? It was fairly near the end of where kids dispersed for the spring. But what feedback are you getting from teachers and students about that space? And maybe even the playground space, which, which I loved, by the way. Oh, thanks. It reminded me of the Ewok Village. <laughs> so it's funny, you're not the only person that has actually said that about the Ewok uh, Village. It's so much fun. You know, it's interesting because one of the things about playgrounds is that, you know, it's all about points of differentiation. You know, if you take a look at Steve Jobs, you knew Steve Jobs wore a black shirt 
He wore black pants and he had his monochromatic approach to life. But he did that out of efficiency. When you take a look at a, a playground, you want that to look different than another playground because you want kids. Our job is to inspire kids. It's our jobs to have desire to be on that playground. And that's that Ewok Village definitely did that. So the, the, it's so much fun. Yeah. But yeah, it's amazing feedback. I, I have a couple pictures, so I'll put them in the show notes for the podcast for the folks listening. It's, ne it's never always good to talk about school design uh, via audio, but we're, we do our best we can on the podcast here. Um, what else? Uh, parking garage, athletic facilities, finishing the lower school. Uh, I know that at one point in time, you were talking a little bit about um, just heating sidewalks and those sort of things. What else have you guys added uh, maybe over the summer? That was, a, that was further back, but... What else is innovative? What else are you guys doing that's a little different? Maybe you can talk about the lights if you want to. Sure. So one of the things about lighting is, as we know, we take a look at, you know, old lighting controls used a physical timer. You know, you'd go in and you create a stop, you know, start at 6 a.m., stop at 8 a.m. for your morning lighting and blah, blah, blah. Well, with the innovation of the way lighting is working now, and I won't get into too many technical things like NEMA 7 plugs and all that other fun stuff, but it's so nice how you're seeing what is literally technology that you can actually incorporate in your home, really incorporate, which has been more in the corporate world and education arena, is astro astronomical uh, clocks. So now we know if it's going to be sunsets at 8 o'clock, we have it set at 7.30 automatically. We're not handling those controls. And I think it's really nice because when we really think about life safety, dangerous premise cases from a legal perspective, lighting controls is probably one of your most valuable assets for life safety and for security. So a lot of innovations there. Yeah, no, I, that, yeah, that's, uh, I, I love that idea. And I, you know, reading more and more about, um, you know, even the color of lighting. And I know that you're, you kind of nerd out about that as well, is that can we start to think about our classrooms and color of lighting and how that impacts mood and how that impacts energy? Um, I just finished reading Healthy Buildings. If you haven't read yet, uh, I should send you my copy um, to Harvard uh, professors. Mm -hmm. have really outlined the ROI in making sure that our buildings are healthy for our employees and hence then our students. And so uh, are you guys thinking about other uh, next steps around healthy buildings and healthy spaces? So one of the things that I think that a lot of people don't really take into consideration is when you're doing retrofits on uh, HVAC, what direction are you really going to go? Because that really costs a lot of money. You know, you have your cost of okay, am I just going to replace a rooftop unit, which is just, you know, slap on, slap off? Does it have an economizer, which gives you, you know, fresh air? Or are you really going to start getting into individual units in each of the classrooms? Um, you know, can you make arguments either way? Sure you can. If your budget is really pushing you, then you go with the rooftop unit, you slap it on and uh, maybe take a look at your zones because one of the things that I don't think a lot of mechanical engineers have done, especially if you take a look at older projects, they never really took a look at the position of the sun. You might take rooftop unit number 13 as handling, you know, east and west classrooms. What is that doing on the load of that unit? And you're never going to be comfortable. So really, if you are taking a look at that, 
take a look at your zones and your zone dampers and your bypass dampers so that you can maximize your spend. Yeah, I actually love that idea about um, thinking about sides of the building. And I think even in the interiors uh, where I get to think about a lot, you know, the color of a classroom on the south side of the building is different than the color on the north side of the classroom based on where the sun is. And you know, sometimes it matters on season, but especially side of the building, like, you know, the northern classrooms are a little bit darker by nature. So do they get painted differently? Do they accented differently? And, you know, and if we're thinking about that, let's continue it all the way to the roof. And so I love that idea about thinking about how you move those sort of things around. Um, what else? What else is happening on campus there? I know you said that there are some preschool students there. Uh, I assume that you're putting things in place and thinking about health and safety as it relates to other students returning as well. Right. So one of the big things right now, obviously, is, uh, is path of travel, because we don't want kids to be able to, you know, come in contact with each other. So, for example, um, we're examining heavily and we, we're, we have what I would consider a somewhat a concrete plan, but we're still fine tuning it and uh, making sure that we have the physical barriers in place. Because one thing that we've learned real quickly is that, you know, other schools, public and private, have opened up. Um, but they haven't put stanchions in place. And I think stanchions is really probably going to be the critical path of travel and the critical path to keep students safe. Because if kids have the ability to, I hate to use the term cattle herding, but we're literally cattle herding, uh, you know, students are creating a good path of travel. I think we're gonna be really successful in keeping our students safe. Stanchions aren't cheap because you need a lot of them, but what's the value of your students? What's the value of your faculty and staff? So that's really one of the things that we're looking at real heavily. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. I think we're starting to get, you know, uh, the, the most schools have been back now is six, seven weeks, right, in the Midwest. So there's some schools that have been back six or seven weeks. We're starting to get some data. And I keep telling people like, we were just guessing our best guess is based on stuff but now we're starting to get some data about what is and what isn't working mm -hmm. and i think uh, that allowed some schools on the east coast that are just kind of getting ramped um mm -hmm. to have a little bit of sight line about um what they're seeing works and you know you can't bring 1500 kids and just throw them all back into high school we've learned that nope. uh, we've also learned that hey k12 doesn't work virtually as well as other things and so we're learning as fast as we can around this. Um, where, where do you think we'll be? I know that that's, a, that's the crystal ball, but like, you know, um, you know and, and where, where do you think your facility will look like a year from now? What, what additions would you like to make for long-term safety or long-term school? Uh, maybe they're not about pandemic, but you're like, you know what, this is just good practice anyway. And I think some of those things are starting to rise to the forefront for people. Yeah, I think that probably the, well, obviously, I, I hope that, uh, you know, there's a vaccine uh, sooner than later. Um, you know, a year from now, I'm, I hope to see students uh, interacting at the level that they were before. Um, I think it's rather disheartening to see, you know, all these wonderful schools throughout the world, not just here, you know, in Potomac, but literally around the world without, you know, students having to be able to see a smile and be able to, you know, you know, for lack of better terms, you know, push another kid over and go, ha, ha, ha. You just don't have that. And, you know, it's amazing how we've taken so much of that for granted. And, you know, just to have our preschoolers here, 
you know, if anything, I think it's been a real morale booster here because you we're here for the kids first and foremost. Um, our faculty and staff are just absolutely amazing. If anything, I would say from a year from now, if I was, if we're going to change one thing, um, I would probably say that um, we're always going to be conscious, even more conscious of of the little things. Of of you know, I think masks are probably going to be something of our lives for the rest of our lives. Mm. Sadly. So will we have a lot more PPE available pre-pandemic? Absolutely. Will we have more housekeeping staff here? Absolutely. We were always, you know, we were always a safe school, but I think we're even safer now. Yeah, and I think that that's the piece is I think some people, and I know you're one of them, is thinking, okay, we can get through this, but how do we set ourselves up to be in an even better place when we return or if something like this happens again? It doesn't have to be this, but how... Talk to me a little bit about, you get to supervise some wonderful people on your campus. How are they handling um, work in a pandemic and supporting projects? And uh, how, how has your staff been in responding to uh, just these new working conditions? Well, it's interesting because, you know, obviously I have a lot of subcontractors that, that are here on the, on the grounds uh, for all the different building projects. And one of the things that I think has been really interesting that we receive a lot um, not only me, but even some of the superintendents that work for me, is how happy these people are to work. And, and that has been something that I personally just love because all of a sudden, you know, I think pre-pandemic, there was so much work out there that people almost took it for granted, where a lot of these contractors are just so grateful that they have jobs because a lot of public and private uh, projects have literally pulled the plug because of funding. So the appreciation that we see has just been heartfelt. You know what I mean? And, you know, when you get that, hey, Mr. Phelan, thanks, you know, we're really happy to be here or, you know, it just, it really puts things into perspective of how tough things are really out there for a lot of people. Yeah, and no, I, I see that as well. And uh, I had some work done here just personally on the house and man, the folks were just that same boat. They. They were excited to be here and their customer service was great. I think that everyone has this heightened sense that unless we do this really well, um, the next project and the next project and the next project may not roll our way. So Joe, thank you for being on the podcast. It's always great to catch up. Let's catch up after the first of the year. Let's see where we are. Let's see what's going on there. I'm actually excited to hear about how the return to school works in the operations world. And then some of how these things you put into place that you hoped worked one way that end up working another way and then how you make the next solution and the next solution because that's our role right well thank you the pleasure is always mine thanks joe take it easy thanks for listening to the help me understand podcast for more about my work you can head over to drrobertdillon.com or follow me on twitter facebook or linkedin don't forget to rate this podcast as it helps alert others to the great conversations and ideas happening in this space. Until next time, this is Dr. Robert Dillon reminding you that an intentional life is filled with awe, curiosity, and joy.